Hello, everyone, and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Ray Armis, and I'm so glad you decided to join us today. If this is your first time, please stop by cfmiami.org online to fill out a connection card. This way we can help connect you to your next step. We have a very special message to you from Pastor Van today. Let's listen in. Paul's writing this to Philemon. This is what he says. If he, and he's talking about Onesimus, if Onesimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now hold that thought while I read Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate, heart, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against the other, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Well, God bless the reading of his word. You may have a seat at this moment. Well, let me begin by introducing you to myself the best way that I know how, and that is introducing you to my family. And so I have a picture of my family up here. That is my lovely wife, Jenny. We've been uh, high school sweethearts for over close to 12 years now. And those two little humans in front of us are my kids. We have a nine-year-old boy and a a six-year-old girl, and their names are Luke and Leah. Now, if that has a a familiar ring to it as it comes out of my mouth, it's because they're named after Star Wars characters, right? And now before you go, hey, well, you know, I want to send you my favorite Star Wars meme or, you know, whatever it is, uh, I got to let you know, I'm actually not a Star Wars fan, okay? I'm I'm not a Star Wars fan. Uh, It's my wife who's a Star Wars fan. Now, you're probably wondering, why would you name your kids after Star Wars characters? Well, for one, my wife is very convincing, Uh, but for two... I just had this thought that no matter how old my son is, no no matter what stage of life I can find him, I can always look him in the face and say, Luke, I am your father. And it just works. And that's why we named him Luke. Now, uh, as you probably noticed in this picture, my kids are actually a blend of cultures. They're actually Cubapinos, all right? They're, They're Cuban on their mother's side, but they're Filipino from my side's. And as kids raised up in America and, and, and have uh, parents with two different ethnic backgrounds, we always, my wife and I, always try to find ways to instill our culture and our heritage to our kids. And in fact, I found a Filipino trait uh, um, that I learned a couple of weeks ago that I think will help us in today's teaching. And it's this phrase called utang na luub. Utang na luub. And in fact, I-, I want you to say that at, at the count of three at all of our campus. Turn to your neighbors and say utang na in the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. There you go. You nailed it. Now, what you didn't know, you just cursed out your neighbor in my language. No, you, can't. you didn't do that. Um, here, here's what that means. Utang na loob. Utang translates as debt. It's something you owe. Na is, is from, and loob is, is really from within, inside of you. So literally translated, this phrase means a debt from within. And this, this, this idea, this, this uh, trait uh, runs deep in the Filipino culture. And it's really this concept that when someone owes you a favor, you feel like you owe them a debt of gratitude. Uh, you feel like you have to appropriate, appropriately repay them. You feel obligated to repay them for the good that they have done to you. That is why, really, when Filipinos are very generous and hospitable people. Uh, and, and really, in other cultures, this is really known as the debtor's ethics, right? The debtor's ethics. You probably don't know that, but I'm sure you've experienced it. In fact, I think you've experienced it this week. 
when you were there at your office Christmas party or your family Christmas party, you thought you got your bases covered by giving everyone a card and a gift, but there at the party was that, that, that random coworker that you forgot or, or, or that family member who brought their boyfriend, right? And they brought you a gift and you came empty-handed. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel at that moment? You feel like, well, maybe one, grateful, but if you're honest with yourself, you probably feel embarrassed a little bit, maybe even frustrated. Why? Because you feel now that you owe them. You feel now you are indebted to them. That is the debtor's ethics. Now, now there's a dark side of the debtor's ethics. There's a, there's a more insidious side that, that can manifest itself in the Filipino culture. And it's what's known, when, when, what ends up happening is that pe- that person who grants that favor to that person begins to exploit that person into a lifetime of indebtedness. And what that can possibly manifest itself in is that people will begin to force the people who they've been indebted to, uh, uh, to, to kind of um, uh, domestic servants, they force them to become domestic servants or even at worst, slaves. And Why? Because when, when, when someone does a favor to you, so when someone owes you, you feel like there's this invisible debt, right? That's really unquantifiable. Like, like if I went to a bank and I borrowed $1,000, I can settle the account by paying back that $1,000 with interest. How do you do that with a favor? How do you quantify a favor? It's not like a Kelly Blue Book value of, of, of how to repay or settle a favor. And so what ends up happening is that people are forced and are exploited into a lifetime of indebtedness until or unless either they pay it off or, or, or you write off their debt. Now, folks, let me turn a corner and bring it to today's teaching because what an image of what can exist in our lives. What an image of what can happen into the relationships that we may form when people have wronged us, when people have hurt us, when people have sinned against us. We feel in our heart and in our mind that they are indebted to, the, uh, indebted to us, that they owe us, and that the way that we can pay is either they pay back what they owe or, or you write off their debt. And, and so here's a big picture. Here's a big takeaway for us to leave here today. Here's my proposition here uh, today. That as we wrap up this year, as we close the books of 2019, may we write off the outstanding moral debts that people owe us. May we write off the debts. Some of you might be asking, well, what debt? How do I even begin to write off a debt? How, how does that, what does that look like? Now, some of you, some of you are smart. Some of you are, hey, pastor, I know where you're going with this, this message. This is a message about forgiveness. And you're going to preach to me about forgiveness. But let me tell you something. You don't know my story. You don't know what's been done to me. You know what, 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 has, what this person has caused me. If you only knew what I went through and the pain that this person took me, how could I ever forgive them for what they have done to me? How do I find the power or the courage or to muster enough strength to even forgive them for what they've done to me? Well, we're going to find out as we jump back in Paul's letter to Philemon. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down as point number one. Philemon is a book about forgiving debts. Philemon is a book about forgiving debts. So let me give you kind of the backdrop of what's happening in this story there's a gentleman by the name of Philemon, and he's a wealthy landowner that we possibly presume, um, and, and he lives in a town in the city called Colossae, 
But one day he meets uh, one of the leaders of the Christian movement by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Paul who wrote a third of the New Testament. And and it's possible that they met in a city called Ephesus because Paul never actually went to Colossae. And and Ephesus was really just 125 miles from Colossae. Well, Paul shares the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to Philemon, and his life begins to be transformed. In fact, it's so transformed that Philemon goes back to the city of Colossae, where he's from, and starts a church in his house. And and here's how we know that Philemon uh, was wealthy. One, he has a house big enough to have a church service. Secondly, the reason why we know that he's wealthy, and particularly and specifically we know from this text, is because, it's because uh, Philemon owned slaves. Now, when, whenever in the New Testament you come across this word bondservant or slave, it's not a, dec- uh, a, a correlation to kind of what maybe you and I think about slavery, you know, the, the transatlantic African slave trade that really haunts our American history. In fact, what the New Testament would call that is evil and wrong and immoral. In fact, 1 Timothy 1.10 says that this idea of enslavers and man-stealing is evil and immoral. So what scholars say that when you approach this, this ver, uh, words like slave or, 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 or a bondservant, it's really kind of the concept of um, an indentured servitude, right? That's when someone's so, so extremely poor that the only leverage or the only thing that they can provide is their labor, Right? Or maybe this could be an idea of this kind of debtor's ethics, right? Where, where they're so indebted, and the only thing they can offer is their labor. Either way, uh, this is not a good system. This is not God's plan. This is not God's ideal. It's just the reality that the, the Roman socioeconomic system that, that Paul and Philemon live under. And so one of those slaves that lived in Philemon's house was by the guy named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a, a slave in Philemon's house, but something happens. We don't know what happens, but he leaves Philemon. He runs away from Philemon, and he runs to Rome, which, ironically enough, is where Paul was in house arrest. And, and in this sovereign twist of providence, he meets Paul, and Paul shares the gospel with him, and, and, and he becomes a follower of Christ. Now, again, we don't know what happened, what, what kind of severed this relationship, why he's running away well, we're just kind of reading between the text here, but what we can kind of assume is that, Phi, uh, that Onesimus stole from Philemon. And here's, how, here's, here's a map of Colossae and Rome. How does a slave manage to get enough resources from Colossae, take him to Colossae to Rome? Unless, unless, of course, he stole from his master. Or maybe even worse, the reason why he, he ran away is because possibly Philemon is, is, uh, uh, has, has done something so heinous, so, so, so terrible at Philemon's house that he would much rather face the consequences of a runaway slave than to face the consequences, which by the way is a capital offense, than face the consequences that he faced at Philemon's house. And so Paul writes this letter. He writes this letter and says, I want you to go back. I know Philemon. I know him. He has a church in Colossae that you were there. So I want you to deliver this letter, and I want to tell Philemon to write off your debt and hope that he will forgive you. In fact, this is what he writes in Philemon. So Paul writes this letter to Philemon, and in verse 18, he says this, if Onesimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. 
The next verse he would say is, I will pay for it. In other words, I'll absorb his debt. I'll pay for what he owes you. See, the hope is that when Paul writes this letter to Philemon, that Philemon would, would, would take back Onesimus, as Paul says in verse 16, no longer as a slave, but as a fellow brother in the Lord. The hope is that Paul, in writing this letter, Philemon would write off the debt that Onesimus owes him by forgiving him. In fact, write this down as point number two. We forgive debt when we write off debt. We forgive debt when we write off debt. Now, again, you might be asking, what debt? What debt does he owe him? But what you need to understand is that whenever um, someone wrongs you, when someone sins against you, when someone hurts you, you might not even know this, but you enter into a relationship with that person, and it's a debt-debtor relationship, a debt-debtor relationship. That is why even in our own language, when someone wrongs us, when someone hurts us, when someone sins against us, this is what we say to them. You owe me. You owe me a debt. You owe me an apology. You owe me for what you took from me, what you have robbed me. You have cheated me. You have lied to me. You have breached my trust. You have abused me. You have mistreated me. You owe me. I mean, isn't that what we say in these kinds of debt-debtor relationships? And for some of you, this right here is directed to a parent in your life. Where you said, you know, you owe me. You were, you were supposed to be there for me. You, you were supposed to show up in the things that mattered the most. But rather than that, you abandoned me. You walked out on me. You owe me my childhood. You owe me the best years of my life. And for some of you, this is, this is directed toward an authority figure in your life. When they were supposed to, to, to protect you and to secure you, God placed them in your life to be an authority figure in your life to protect you and to keep you safe. But rather than doing that, they leveraged their authority to abuse you, to hurt you, to put you down. And you find yourself in a world of hurt. What you are saying to them is, you owe me. You owe me. And some of you, this is directed to a former friend of yours or a former business partner. You shared your ideas, you shared your future, you shared your dreams with them, but rather than that, that translating to your success, they stole it from you, and what you're saying to them is, you owe me. You owe me my future, you owe me my dream, you owe me my intellectual property. And every time I see you on social media with your successes, you are just so filled with rage. You owe me. You're reminded of that. For some of you, this is directed to a child, a kid, maybe not a little one, but an older one. Maybe for you as a parent, you've done all that you can for that child. You, you've raised in the right, you sure weren't a perfect parent, but you did the best you could with the resources that you have. And rather than that translating in gratitude, they continue to abuse you, manipulate you over and over again. And what you want to say is, you owe me. For some of you, this is directed towards a former relationship, maybe your ex. What you want to say is, listen, on that altar, you vow to, to honor your commitment before God, my family, and my friends for richer or poorer to death do us part. And rather than honoring your commitment in one selfish decision, you chose to walk out on me and the kids. You owe me. 
And that's what can happen in our lives in this debt-debtor relationships. What ends up happening is that in our minds, they have accumulated a moral debt in our minds, and we have this ledger of everything that they owe us, and you know it to the penny. And the way to respond to that is really two ways. One is you can demand justice. You can demand justice. Everything that you have taken from me, what you have robbed you have to pay it back. We demand justice, and we could obsess over it. Are we not? I heard a story not too long ago about a woman who was battling health issues, and finally she passed away, and she ends up in heaven, and there's an angel at the gate. And don't you love these stories? Theologically inaccurate, but they're still fun to tell anyways, right? She's there at the gate, and they, she asks the angels, how do, how do I get to heaven? The angel says, well, you have to spell a word. What word might that be, the lady says. The angel says, well, you have to spell the word love. And she correctly spells it, L-O-V-E. You may enter the gate, the angel says. Well, six months later, she bumps into this angel, and the angel says, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you guard the gate for me? I have to run an errand. But by the way, before you forget, do you remember the word to get in here? And he says, of course, how can I forget? It's love. Wouldn't you know it? The first person she sees at the gate is her husband, right? She sees her husband. They embrace, and she asks her husband, how have you been, by the way, these past six months? And the husband says, well, after you passed away, I fell in a deep depression. But that didn't, that didn't last long, because you remember that young nurse that took care of you at hospice? Well, we fell in love, and we got married, and wouldn't you know, after all these years of playing the lotto, I finally won, right? And you know that, that, that shack that we lived in, that you always are complaining that we need to get out of here to something bigger? We've, we sold it, and now we bought a bigger mansion. But in fact, we were never actually enjoyed it because we were never there, because we always go to these exotic vacations. Well, actually, that, that's why I'm here. Um, we were jet skiing. I fell off the jet ski. Her jet ski hit me in the head, and there you go. I'm here. But by the way, how do I get into heaven? And she says, well, you got, you got to spell a word. And what word that might that be? And the wife says, I would love for you to spell the word Czechoslovakia. Right? <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a silly story. I love that story. But isn't it true, though? Isn't it true? Don't we wish, don't we dream that that was our scenario? That the fate of the person who has wronged us is finally in our hands, and we demand justice. We can finally tell them all the things that they owe us and what we demand of them. I mean, I don't know about you, but maybe for you, if you're anything like me, we rehearse these scenarios over and over and over again, and for the finally moment that you can tell them off what they've done to you. And if you're anything like me, it's not just me and the, the, the offender. It's uh, other people witnessing this, to seeing how a fraud this person is and how justified I am in, in my rage and my revenge and my anger and my bitterness. Is anyone like that or is that just me? (laughs) See, the reality is we have two options when someone wrongs us. We can either demand justice or, or we can write off their debt by forgiving them. Gary Brashears um, writes this great definition of forgiveness. I think it'll be helpful for our teaching today. This is what he says about forgiveness. He says, forgiveness is my personal act of releasing someone of the wrong 
they've done to me and my releasing my personal right to collect the debt that is owed to me instead of me instead of giving back the pain that they gave me i absorb the pain by god's grace and god's help what a beautiful picture of forgiveness now you got to understand forgiveness is not forgetting you probably hear this right just forgive and forget See, forgiveness is not forgetting. In fact, it's, for some of you, it's hard to forget. So, some of you have been hurt and wounded so badly and the pain runs so deep, it's hard for you to forget. It's hard for you to forget. And in fact, there's gonna be times, even if you've released the debt, even if you let go, and what the enemy will do will flood back your mind with all the hurt and all the pain back to you again. You cannot forget that. In fact, what you need to do is remember Remember that you had written off their debts. You remember you have forgiven them. So forgiveness is not a forgetting. Forgiveness is not excusing or condoning what they have done. Part of the forgiveness journey for you, the healing journey, is that it might look like you write them off of the debt, but you still have to pursue legal matters. Part of what that means is that even though you have written off the debt, they don't owe you nothing. Part of the reality is that they owe society, and you have to allow the criminal justice system to take its place. So forgiveness is not that. Forgiveness is not allowing yourself to be subject to abuse over and over again. Forgiveness is not putting you in a place of, uh, uh, where you're not safe, that we're, we're doormats. In fact, forgiveness is not even reconciliation. For forgiveness uh, uh, is a one-way, it's a solo act. Reconciliation takes two parties. The other party might not even want to be forgiven, or even feel like they need to be forgiven, or even want reconciliation. That's why Paul would say this, as best as it is up for you, live at peace with everyone. Because the reality is that, that forgiveness is a decision, it's a choice, but reconciliation is a journey that people have to take. So if forgiveness is not that, forgiveness simply is this. It's you writing off the debt that someone owes you. Now, that is easier said than done. In fact, some of you already know that. You guys understand this concept of forgiveness, but you don't do it because it's so hard, isn't it? It's difficult for us to forgive, especially in light of what they have done. They don't deserve it. And in fact, let me give you three ways why we don't forgive. You and I don't forgive people. The first one is um, we don't forgive because we feel like if we forgive, then we no longer have leverage over them. There's a sense when someone wrongs you, when someone hurts you, someone sins against you, you are reminding them that they owe you, and in some sense, you feel like you have power over them because you are the victim. But the moment you say, I forgive you, you relinquish that power over people. Just like if you have paid off a loan, they can no longer go after you, put a lien on your house. It is paid, it's done. But we would much rather have power and hold on to our grudges. That is why some of us are not forgiving. Another reason why for some of us we're not forgiving people is because if we forgive, we've been holding this, this grudge for so long and, and nursing it for so long. If you forgive, how else can I excuse my bad behavior? For some of us, we, we're holding on a grudge and it's killing us, but we're still abdicating the blame somewhere else. 
For some of us, the reason why we don't forgive is because we believe that if we forgive the person, how else and what excuse can I give you now of why I'm drinking so much? If I forgive the person, what excuse can I give you now of me taking these medications that aren't even prescribed to me? If I forgive the person, what excuse can I give you now of why I have such a, 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 I'm an irritable person of a foul mouth? If I forgive them, what excuse do I have now to why I wake up every morning with this low-grade frustration in my life? See, resentment is like drinking poison and hoping someone else dies. It is killing you. Some of us don't want to forgive because what excuse can we give now? Now, the, the last reason why we don't forgive, and I think it's probably the most common way we don't forgive, the reason we don't forgive is because it's gonna cost you something. See, if I had a, a, a phone here that I got for Christmas and I loaned it to you and you broke it, what ends up happening is either you, I demand justice and you just have to pay me back for what you broke or I forgive you and I relinquish you the debt. But guess what? I still have to fix that. I still have to pay. It's going to cost me. Even though you're not paying it, I have to pay for it. And let me tell you this. When you have forgive someone because of a hurt, it is costly, isn't it not? But there's only one thing I know in this world that costs more than forgiving someone. You know what it is? It's not forgiving someone. Because the reality is when you don't forgive, it's going to cost you something so much more in the long run, like your heart, like your joy, like your freedom, like the abundant life that God ushers you in. It is costly because when you don't forgive, it will crush you. When you don't forgive, you will be chained to your bitterness, your resentment, your anger. If you don't forgive, you will be forever tethered to the person who has wronged you. And every time you think about that, there will always be in your memories. Because when you don't forgive, it will slowly rob you of the joy in your life. When you don't forgive, what ends up happening is that it's going to be hard for you to open your heart again in other relationships. And you crush intimacy in your life, when you don't forgive, that little grudge that you are nursing and coddling will one day become the monster that consumes your life. See, when we don't forgive, it is a costly, costly thing. That, that, that is why Paul writes this letter. That is why Paul says, hey, Onesimus, you know, it's great that we're here. You've been such useful to me here at, when I'm in, I'm in, 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 in uh, house arrest. It's been great times for us worshiping and, 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 re, uh, and reflecting on the good news of Jesus. But Onesimus, you cannot stay here. Because if we stay here and ignore what has happened, then what are we doing here? We're not following Jesus. That is why Paul writes this letter and says, Philemon, listen, every time I hear what's happening in your house, the church, it's amazing. My heart is filled with joy. But listen, we can't pretend like nothing ever happened. We, we, we can't just continue to play church. That is why Jesus would say this. He, he would say this. He says, if you offer your sacrifices at the temple and you remember that your brother has something against you, this is what Jesus says, leave your offering there. And I love this as a preacher because you still have to leave your offering, okay? <laughs> then, he says, then he says, go back and make things right with your brother and then offer your sacrifices to God. See, see we, we, we need to understand this, that, that the reality is that if I've, well, actually, the reality is if I stop preaching this message right now at this moment, I have preached this message incorrectly. Because what I've 
so far have given you is a secondary application of Philemon, of this text. And the secondary application is simply this, that you're Philemon and you're the offended party and there are Onesimuses in your life that owe you great debt for what they have done to you, how they have offended you. But folks, that is not the primary application. The primary application of this text is not that you're Philemon and you have been the offended party. The primary text, the application of this text is that God is Philemon, which makes what? You and me. Onesimus. And that makes Paul this Christ-like figure who mends the divide, who, who bridges the gap, the chasm that we have before God. He brings it together. Because the reality is the basis of your forgiveness, your forgiving someone, is not the severity of the hurt that you experience or how you feel or whether or not they deserve it. The basis of your forgiving someone is how God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the basis of our forgiveness. In fact, Paul, Paul would write this. Colossians chapter, and actually, uh, this is point number three. We forgive because we are forgiven. And Paul would write this in Colossians chapter three. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if any one of you has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You know that little phrase, as the Lord? Go ahead and circle it, write it, highlight it, whatever you need to do, because that phrase, as the Lord, carries so incredible significance that you and I will never know the cost of Jesus on the cross for our sins. You will not, I never know that. In fact, that phrase, as the Lord, as the Lord, it really gives Paul this authority and really gives Paul, you know, really the, the, the confidence to tell people that he barely has even known to do a task that seems supernaturally impossible to do. That phrase, as the Lord, begins to redefine the framework of us as people who have been forgiven of what forgiveness means. See, the reality is that the only power to forgive lies in the experience of being forgiven. As broken, as sinful people before a holy and just God who has been forgiven much, the basis of our forgiveness lies, the power, maybe some of you are asking, how can I even forgive this? Well, the power to forgive, it lies in the experience of being forgiven. In fact, Peter asked Jesus this question. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And this is a question that really you're asking. What's the cap, right? At what point? As many as seven times, Peter says, verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, I say 77 times. Now, some of your translation says 70 times seven. If that's your translation, I'm sorry, but you are not off the hook for forgiving 490. You want a Bible like mine that only says 77 times. No, I'm kidding. That's not the point. What Jesus is saying is this. When, you, people, forget, when people wrong you, don't take count. Don't take record. And so he goes on in telling the story, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the accounts of his servants. 
when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So the story begins off with this guy who owes a massive amount of debt. This guy, Jesus uses the strongest language, the highest value in their day to explain how much this guy is in debt to his eyeballs. In fact, what economists and, and scholars would say, that this guy owes more, the debt that he, he mounted, uh, accumulated is more than the total GDP of Palestine itself, the place that he was living in. I mean, th- th- this is a value that, that it just seems, it's like Jesus would say, like, tell a story, like, hey, there's a guy who owed a gazillion dollars, right? It's like something that's just so ridiculous that, that doesn't make sense that you and I will never, ever come across. I mean, it, this is kind of like saying as ridiculous as a Miami mortgage, right? It's just so incredibly, uh, it's just ridiculous, right? And so he goes on to say this, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. And I will pay you everything. Now, he's just grasping for straws because there is no way this guy can pay off this debt. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. He wrote off the debt. Now, make no mistake about it. Payment still had to be made. It didn't just magically go away. He released him of the debt. But the payment still has to be made. So the master, this king, absorbed the debt. He took the loss. It will come out of my pocket. And friends, if you haven't pieced the story together, God is the king in this story. And you and I are, is this person who owes this massive amount of debt that has skyrocketed beyond calculation. Because the reality is, according to the Bible, that every time you sin, every time you've done a heinous act, you contribute to this pile that is massing, that in one day you will have to be accounted for. You have to account for. Because the reality is that, you know, when you sin, and I'm just talking about the sins in the past, right? The heinous stuff that you know, I'm talking about the things that you and I do every day contribute to that pile. Because every time you are less than honest, you contribute to that pile. Every time you cheated, every time you lost your cool to that five-year-old, every time you did the wrong thing, every time you refused to be loving or grateful, every time you gossip, every selfish act, every racial joke, every sexual impure thought or action, every moment of judgmentalism or arrogance, every time you nurse and coddle that grudge, you are contributing to this heaping amount of debt that you will never be able to pay. And folks, the core of the Christian story is this. Because of sin, we have racked up this insurmountable debt, but God in his great mercy and love, through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, dies on the cross for our sins so that we no longer have the penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So Jesus pays off your debt. It is finished. And, and folks, that is the correlation of the story. God has done so much for us that he has forgiven us. As Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5.12, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul would say this in Colossians chapter 2, which, by the way, next week we start a brand new series called Click Refresh, where we're going to be studying the book of Colossians. You want to be here for that. 
So many good things in Colossians. In fact, this is one of the good ones. He says, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's what Christ has done for us. Now, there's a second part of this story that we need to know. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says the second part of the story, verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a tiny amount compared to what he owed the king. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you of all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And what Jesus says next should chill us to the core. Please don't dilute or water down what Jesus says in your justification of unforgiveness. Verse 35, this is what Jesus says. And so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you think Jesus makes this topic of forgiveness and unforgiveness an important topic? Do you think it matters to Jesus what you do with your grudge? Do you think it matters to Jesus that for those who have received this incredible forgiveness in their lives, that what you do with it matters to him and what you, you plan to do with it? See, what Jesus is not saying, hey, don't get angry when people hurt you. What Jesus is not saying, hey, don't feel all these emotions that are correlated or associated with the hurt in your life. What Jesus is not saying, hey, you shouldn't struggle with forgiving someone. He's not saying, hey, don't wrestle with people when, when they have, uh, they forget, uh, they've wronged you. What Jesus is simply saying is that this, for those of you who receive the abundant grace of God and forgiveness of God, and, you, and yet you refuse to forgive your brother in your heart you're not my disciple you're not following the ways of Jesus see the reality is the ceiling that you put the cap on to how much you're gonna forgive a person is quite honestly the ceiling and the cap that you're gonna tell yourself this is how much I can experience God's love this is the point. This is all that I can do because the reality is because if you have been given much, if you have been forgiven much, and you truly understand that, well, you can give it freely because you have been forgiven an insurmountable debt. See, the, 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 the reality of a philanthropist is simply this. A philanthropist is someone who has uh, uh, accumulated or has so much of wealth, a reservoir, an ongoing pouring wealth, that it's okay for them to take some of it and offer it here, even if they're not gonna pay them back. And folks, as the Christian life is the reality, how deep the Father's love for us, that he has lavished to us his grace, his love, his mercy, 
and it's for forgiveness. And we have so much over here and it will never run out. His mercies are renewed every single morning. So why are we being stingy and extending that same grace and that same love? And listen, I don't want to minimize your hurt. I know it costs you a lot. But our basis of forgiveness is not what we feel or what's been done to us because of what Christ has done for us. And simply this, if you are a Christian and you refuse to forgive, you have taken your eyes off the cross. And the invitation of Jesus today is this. Would you fix your eyes back onto Jesus? Fix your eyes on the cross and what he has done. And so my invitation for you is this. Would you identify that person? Would you name out those offenses, the ways that they owe you? In fact, maybe some of you have a connection card, and behind your connection card is a prayer request. Go ahead and write out their name. Go, and write, go out and list those offenses and what they owe you to the T. What I want to ask you is once and for all, settle the debt by writing it off and forgiving them in your heart. And we're going to do that. I'm going to invite you to do that before, before, we, before we do that. I would like for us at all of our campuses to partake of communion, the Lord's Supper, because what a way to set up what forgiveness is by first understanding what has been done to us and how God has forgiven. So at all of our campuses, you should have received these elements here. If you did not have one of these and would like to participate, go ahead and just raise your hand and one of our ushers will hand this to you. And really, this is what we do. The Lord's Supper is something that we as Christians, as followers of Christ, have been doing for centuries and it's really to this point to remember what Christ has done for us. Remember the sacrifice that he has given to us on the, by the dying on the cross for our sins. And maybe for you here, you're a guest with us and you're new here and, and feel no obligation to participate in this. And maybe some of you here are not followers of Christ. You're, you're, you're not a Jesus follower. You're, you're new to this faith. Uh, I, I want to let you know that we'd lovingly ask you not to partake of this moment. Uh, it's only reserved for the believers. Now, even though um, this is not for you, I want you to lean into this moment because even though it's not for you, it has everything to do about you and God's love for you and his grace in your life and the sacrifice and how he demonstrates his love by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And so maybe for you in this space, it's just a time for you to just reflect on that. Reflect on where you stand with God. Reflect on your sins and, and how you can ask God to, to, to cleanse you and, and forgive you of all unrighteousness by trusting in the sufficient work of Jesus Christ. That, that, that what the Bible says this, that, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Maybe for you just to cry out to the Lord. But for all of us who call Jesus our Lord, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. We're going to start here and then we're going to finish by writing off debts. Because we need to remember that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Forgiveness was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. The heaping debt that you owe, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus has forgiven it on the cross. And so together as a church family, let's partake of this bread, remembering his sacrifice for us. Later on that night, he took the cup 
And when he'd given thanks, he says, this is a sign of the new covenant in my blood. In other words, the way that God relates with you is no longer in a debt-debtor relationship because of what Christ has done. The way that God is now going to relate to you is that now you are his child. As we partake of that, we remember the covenant that he has made with us, the promise. Let's partake of it together. Now, here's what I want all of us to do. If you're ready, would you write off those debts? In light of what Christ has done for us, write off those debts. Maybe for you, it's for you a symbolic act of writing it down. And I'm going to invite some of you to come to the altar. We're going to sing a song, and I want to invite you to to come to the altar and lay it down before the Lord. Write it out once and for all. Don't bring this to 2020. Bring it, lay it down at the foot of the cross. And if some of you, you need to come to this altar and maybe bring a friend, and maybe for you, you just need to cry out to the Lord, God, help me, give me the power, help me experience your love so that I can forgive. So I want to invite us at all of our campuses to stand up as we the singles cross, come to the altar and lay it down before the Lord.
Amen. Well, listen, hey, at all of our campuses, hey, listen, we have friends at the Next Steps area. Maybe for you, you want to be prayed over. Maybe you have a, a heavy burden in your heart and you just need someone to pray for you. We want to let you know at all of our campuses, we have friends who would love to pray for you. Maybe for you here today and you want to know more information about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to experience the forgiveness that Christ offers you. We want to let you know we have friends at the Next Steps area who would love to answer your questions as well as pray with you and give you a Bible to help you in your journey of following Jesus. Hey, be here back next week as we start a series, a brand new series called Click Refresh. It's going to be a great series because we're going to be studying the book of Colossians. Hey, some of you are making resolutions. Why not resolve to be here back next week? Hey, God bless you all. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. God bless you all. Go with God. Peace. What a powerful message we heard today. And if God moved in your life, please tell us about it. Go ahead and stop by cfmiami.org online and fill out that connection card so that we can help you with your next step. That concludes our message for today. We'll see you next time here at CF Online.